Holy Spirit, we welcome you here this morning. We ask you to speak to us. We pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear what you're wanting to say to us today. And I pray more and more that you would help us to become a people of love. We love you and love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. So my name is Grant. I'm one of the pastors here at Restored. And today we're starting a new series called Healthy Relationships, uh, where we're going to be looking at the big relationships of life. We're going to be looking at what it means to love God, what it means to love our neighbor or love one another. And we're going to look at our relationships with some of the normal everyday stuff of life, which takes up so much of our time and headspace and energy, and which are really these big realms of discipleship for us as we try and follow Jesus in the midst of them. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about how we are practically going to be doing that at the end of the sermon. But before that, maybe we should just talk about why. Why are we coming into a new topical series on healthy relationships today? And if you were here early in the year, probably six months ago or so, Andy shared a little bit about what we had sensed God was highlighting for the year, or what he was saying to us or asking us to teach into. And he spoke about two ideas, the, the Holy Spirit and the household. And we spent about two months teaching on who the Holy Spirit is and what he does and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and what life in the Spirit looks like. And then over the last three months in the summer, we worked through the Psalms, looking at a lot of prayer stuff and our value of dependence, really, what it looks like to depend on God in everything, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through, whatever uh, emotions you're wrestling with, whatever doubts or questions you've got, just looking at the prayers that the prayer book of the Bible, the Psalms, gives us to help us to find God in the midst of life. And now in the last third of the year, we're going to be going into this new series where we're going to be looking a little bit at our households and our relationships and some of the small but really big parts of everyday life and learning what it looks like to follow Jesus in those areas. Because those really are the main arenas for working out our discipleship, the everyday, normal, sometimes trivial things of life. So today we're going to start in Matthew 22 with Jesus's great commandment. And we're going to look a little bit more at what he has to say about that. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there with me. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen next to me. And in this text, what Jesus does is he answers a question that comes to him from one of the Pharisees, an expert in the law, about what is the most important thing. Matthew 22, 36. Teacher, Jesus, which command in the law is the greatest? And we hear that and we think, okay, that's a fair question. Like, I want to know that. According to the Bible, what is the most important thing? What is the most important thing for life? But this is actually a bit of a trick and a trap. This Pharisee, this teacher of the law, is trying to get Jesus on the record saying something, which if it is controversial, they can use against him in the future. And Jesus responds in this way. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important command. The second is like it. Just interestingly, he didn't ask for two. He just asked for one. What is the greatest? And Jesus sneaks in a little second there. Jesus says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend or hang on these two commands. It's beautiful. Um, Frederick Bruner has an incredible quote about this passage. He says, because God is so dim in modern consciousness. What he means is because we don't think about God so much, 
because we're not that aware of God, because we're so distracted by so many things going on, because God is so dim in modern consciousness, Jesus' answer startles its hearers into centeredness. The purpose of living is the adoration of God and the cherishing of human beings. I just love that so much. That, that is the purpose of life. That is at the core of our Healthy Relationships series. This is what we're going to be kind of working out how to do practically, uh, hopefully growing in some skills and tools and ways of thinking that we can do these two things, that we can adore God and cherish human beings better in our lives and in this church. So I've got a very simple outline today. We're going to look at two things from this passage. We're going to look at how to become a community that loves God and what it means to be a community that loves like God. So let's look at the first one, a community that loves God. Again, Jesus says, Matthew 22, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. So what does Jesus mean by loving God here? I think that's probably the most important thing that we need to answer because the way we define love there, the, the way we understand what he means by loving God is going to shape the way we respond to it in a huge way because this command is not just about warm fuzzies. It's not just about feeling good or feeling positive about God or positive vibes towards God or some kind of general sentimental fondness for God. Like, yeah, I like him. He seems great, you know. It's not just that. It's so much more. So how do we define love? I've um, heard about this show that is now in its fifth season. I've never watched it. I'm sure you haven't either. It's called Love is Blind. Um, and in the five seasons of this show, uh, it's just been interesting seeing the way they define love from what I've heard. And um, the concept is this. You've got 15 guys and 15 girls, and they're kind of in these two different apartments that connect in the middle with these meeting rooms where you can have these dates and conversations with the other person without seeing them. So these people go into a lot of intense dates over, I think, like eight or ten days. Maybe some of you know. I have no idea. Again, you know, I've never seen it before. But these 15 guys and girls get into these intense dates. And the big idea is sight unseen that have fall in love and get engaged. And then a month later, get married. It's absolutely wild. And what you see in the show is these guys are having these very intense conversations straight away. The bonds they form, the emotions they feel just very quickly get so, so strong that they fall in love and propose. It's a really interesting show, again, from what I've heard. And what, what the, like, the concept here is that I like is it's kind of elevating this idea that looking at the person, seeing what they look like, their height, their race, their face shape, their eyes, their hair, all of those things are not important to love. What's important is the feelings, the romance, the emotions you have, the connection that you've got with this person that you can develop and then know this is the person that I want to be with. And it kind of elevates this idea in a way which is not really real linked to reality TV. You're like, oh, this feels so good. But you think about it, you're like, this is reality TV. This is trash, you know. But what happens when they leave the pods is amazing. Because generally in a season, five or six people propose in these 10 or so days. And then the doors open and they see one another. And all of a sudden, things change. This love, this relationship shifts a little bit. And exactly what you're thinking happens. Sometimes they see the person and you just can see the love is gone. They're like, oh, I, I don't know. Like, 
I was feeling this in the pod, but now I'm not so sure that this is the person that I'm meant to spend the rest of my life with. It's really awkward because you can see it on their face and in their embrace. And then the camera pulls aside and they're like, oh, okay, um, we'll see how this goes over the next while. But pod life, when they're together, just hidden from one another, just having conversations, changes radically when things become more real. When all of a sudden um, they see one another and get to spend time with one another. And when they go home, and start meeting family and friends and having to work and having errands and chores and life gets busy and stress happens and sin and imperfection and flaws start to come out. All of a sudden, this love is blind idea doesn't seem exactly the same. All of a sudden, there's sacrifice and compromise and forgiveness. And you realize this idea of love in a vacuum just isn't real for the rest of life. And in season five, from what people have been telling me, there are these three moments where these ladies confess to the guy that they like or love or want to be together with. They confess something from their past, which they're a bit ashamed of, which they're nervous of, which they're not sure how the guy is going to respond. And the guys have responded terribly. They've been like devastated by this news. And Shell and I, um, hearing about this, have just thought, this doesn't feel like such a big thing. Like you should be able to work through this because surely there's going to be bigger things that come down the line. But these guys are absolutely floored by this news and it looks like the relationship might not make it now that all of a sudden some of the reality of life and the brokenness of the world and the flaws of the past and the reality that we're human enters into the equation. This is not the kind of love Jesus is talking about in the great commandment. So how do we love God? What is the kind of definition for love that he's speaking about here in Matthew chapter 22? Because Jesus is not, not talking about feelings and emotions and warm fuzzies and all of those things. He's just talking about so much more than just that kind of thing. Jesus says that the kind of love that we have for God must involve all of our heart and our soul and our, our mind. The other gospels include strength as well our physicality, and Jesus is talking about everything that goes on internally, but also our external lives, like the stuff that happens outside of us as well. He's talking about our whole lives and our whole being, loving God in that, with our whole person. He's calling us to love God with everything, which is a really big deal. It's pretty wild. He's calling us to total devotion to God, total worship of God, total surrender to God, total allegiance to God. He's calling us to prioritize God and obey God and follow God and trust God with all that we are. And if you were to modernize that, or if he was here today, he might say it in a slightly different way. He might call us to love the Lord our God with all of our money and our influence and our sexuality and our time and our careers, or whatever the things are that are so important to you. Jesus is saying, love me with everything that you are and everything that you have. The totality of yourself, would you give that over to me? Which is absolutely wild. Beautiful, but wild. Because that is what it means to love God with all your heart and soul and mind. And the other thing Jesus is teaching us in this passage is that this kind of love is the measure of our spiritual maturity. Loving in this kind of way, loving God in this way, loving each other in this way, this is what spiritual maturity looks like. And I don't like that at all. I really don't. Like, I would love it if Jesus just gave us five things to do. It's like, you want to be a mature Christian. You want to be a spiritual person. You want to uh, be mature and healthy in your relationship with God. Do these five things. Pray for this long a day. 
read your Bible this much, do this many church events, do these two other things, and you've achieved it, you've done it, you're crushing it, you are a mature, healthy, godly person. I'd say, thank you very much, Jesus, I'm in. And that was the way the Pharisees measured spiritual maturity. This is, a Pharisee is asking Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? A Pharisee, this spiritual leader, is asking Jesus this, and he did this kind of tick box Christianity. And I just want to say, in church circles, often the Pharisees get a bit of a, a bad rap. If we had a Pharisee in this church, you would be really impressed by them. They would, no, they would be amazing. They would be probably the most disciplined, self-controlled person in the room. They would do so many amazing things. They would know the Bible so well. If you had any Bible trivia questions or any hard questions, you'd go to them, they would know. They'd be quoting scripture at you. They'd be linking things together. They'd give you a thorough, thoughtful answer. They'd be really disciplined and passionate in their prayer, praying multiple times a day, fasting at least one day a week. You would just be blown away by their commitment to spiritual things and spiritual practices. And they'd also just be really moral and good. Like, I can't fault this guy. Like, he's amazing. I can't fault this girl. She's incredible. That's the kind of person who is asking Jesus this question. Someone who from the outside looks completely spiritually mature. You'd be so impressed with them at the first time you meet them. But Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, says he's unimpressed with them. And then he calls them hypocrites. <laughs> so this person that we would be blown away by, and we go like, that guy, that Pharisee is amazing. Jesus calls a, a hypocrite or a mask wearer. He's saying you've got this thin veneer of spirituality on the outside, which doesn't go below into your heart. You're wearing this mask that looks so impressive, but it's not true like as we go a little bit deeper into who you are. And the whole next chapter, Matthew 23, after Jesus gives us the great commandment, is all speaking into this kind of life, speaking to these Pharisees, speaking to these kinds of people. Jesus even calls them whitewashed tombs, which um, I know we don't throw that around too much these days. Not a very kind thing to say. He's saying on the outside, you look great. You're appealing. You look beautiful. You look like you've got it all together. But inside, you're full of dead bodies. He's saying you're full of death. And if someone comes near to you, they will be made impure. You are not a healthy, mature, godly kind of person, even though you seem it in every way, based on every kind of metric. And the problem with the Pharisees' way of measuring spiritual maturity, the do's and don'ts, the external way, is it leads us away from trusting Jesus to trusting in ourselves and trusting in what we do. What happens with this kind of living, because I'm definitely in my heart, I tend towards being a Pharisee, is when we're doing well, we look down on those who are not doing well. When we are crushing it in some of these spiritual things, ticking all the boxes, we put our confidence in those things. And then we look at people who sin differently to us or who don't do as well as us at these things or are struggling some er in some areas. And we look down on them and we start to condemn them or become self-righteous or become legalistic or just not tend towards love towards them. We judge them and we write them off, which is what the Pharisees did. They trusted in themselves and their own works rather than Jesus and what he had done. Spiritual maturity is not just about what we do. It's about becoming more and more a person of love, a person who's loving God more fully and loving the people around us more fully. So the second big idea here is that we would become a community that loves like God. In John 13, verse 34 to 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another, how? Just as I have loved you. That, that's your example. That's your model. You also are to love one another in that way. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What he's saying here is that his life of love and his love for us, that is our reason that we love others. It's a really high benchmark, but it's also a beautiful, captivating vision of how we would live, living a life of love like this. And Jesus is saying to us that the kind of community that lives this out, he's not speaking to us in a vacuum, speaking to us individually, speaking to us as a community, saying this kind of loving community that loves like Jesus will be impressive to the watching world. But conversely, as Peter Scazzaro says, when we don't love well, the implications go beyond our personal lives, our families, our neighborhoods, and our churches. When we don't love others well, the beauty and love of Jesus is tarnished and sullied to the world. Jesus' great commandment in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now, many of us, even if you haven't grown up in church, even if you're new to church, may have just heard these like in the culture, on TV, through a friend or something. We know the great commandment is to love God and love people. But one of the things we can miss reading this is that Jesus is actually quoting two Old Testament passages of Scripture. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, and from Leviticus 19. And in Deuteronomy 6, we have the passage at the core, the heart of the Jewish faith. You see, devout Jews would actually pray this passage twice a day when they woke up in the morning and when they went to bed. This was like their version of the Lord's Prayer, in a sense, this well-known prayer at the center of their lives. Often for little Jews, this would be the first thing that they would be taught to memorize was the Shema. And Shema means to hear. It's, it's an awareness of God, a presence of God, a hearing of God, a paying attention to God. In Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is what Jesus is quoting in the great commandment. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. The parents in the room, it's definitely worth paying attention to that. One of the reasons we're doing a kid's training after this, because we want to teach our children to be aware of God and to know the word of God. That's why we're doing a parenting a workshop on the 4th of November because we want to love our kids well and train them in the ways of Jesus and help them to live with the gospel at center. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Just think fashion accessory. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, which Jesus is quoting, is this vision of a life that is aware of God, that is devoted to God, that is centered on God, and that is loving God. We just see every aspect of life in Deuteronomy 6 is centered around Him and orbiting around God. Our lives, our home, our work, our families. We see this kind of focus when we wake up at the start of the day and then the last thing we do before we go to bed at night. We see it when we're at home, but also when we're kind of commuting or when we're traveling. We see it in our thinking and our doing, internally and externally. Every aspect of who we are is centered on God, is devoted to God, is loving God. That's what Jesus is referencing there. 
And then Jesus says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend or hang on these two commands. And I said this earlier, but you'll notice this teacher never asked for a second. He said, what is the greatest, Jesus? And Jesus gives two for the price of one, throws one in for free. Jesus puts these two commands together, and obviously he's doing this intentionally. He's wanting to link Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. He's wanting to link love for God and love for people, which to me seems wild. When I think of loving God, I'm like, yes, I'm going to put that first way up here, and I'm down to make loving, God, uh, loving people number two, but I would just put it so low below loving God. And then I don't care where everything else is, way below that even. But I would just see such a distinction between these two commands because this is so much more important. And I think Jesus sees our thinking in that way and he brings these together. The commentators say that by linking these two commands in this way, Jesus is saying that they are equal. He's combining them and making them one, love for God and love for neighbor. And the reason why he is doing this, this is really important, is that loving God is invisible and unseen. You can't measure it. But it comes to expression. It's made visible in the way that we love people. You can't kind of fake it with that stuff. That stuff's in front of you. It's in front of them all of the time. It's easy for us to say we love God. It's easy for us to do the tick box Christianity, you know, come to church, serve, give, read our Bible, pray, do the things. Externally, we're ticking the box, but internally, we're actually really far from God. We don't love him and we don't love people. But Jesus is calling us to a different way of maturity and health and spiritual growth, which is centered on becoming a person of love. And we know this. Hollywood knows this. I think every Christian movie I've watched or every show I've watched where there's a Christian character, I cringe because I know exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be a tick box person. They're going to come in and they're going to do the right things. They're going to go to church, serve in a ministry. They're going to be moral. They're going to be a good person, but they're going to be awful. They're going to be awful. They're not going to be loving. They're not going to be kind. They're not going to have the character of Jesus at all. And they're going to be a terrible representation of God because they have the maturity of ticking the boxes, but not of a changed and transformed heart or life. So Jesus is saying to us that the litmus test of true spiritual maturity and health is how we love God and how we love people. In Luke 10, there's uh, another similar situation to this. Another expert in the law comes to Jesus and asks a similar question about eternal life and about what is most important. And this time, I love Jesus with stuff like this. Jesus throws it back. He goes, well, what do you think it is? And this person responds with exactly the same answer that we find in Matthew 22. But then he asks Jesus a follow-up question. He says, it's to love God and love my neighbor, but... Luke 10, verse 29, wanting to justify himself, he asks, but who is my neighbor? It's a really good question if we're going to be talking about this today. Who is it that we are to love? Who is it that we're meant to treat in this kind of way? And Jesus responds with the story of the Good Samaritan. If you don't know the story, you can Google it. It's in Luke chapter 10. But it's a story of sacrificial love self-sacrificing for someone else that the person doesn't even know who is religiously different, racially different, and ethnically different to them. They cross all of these lines to serve and love this person, and they're not going to get anything out of it. That's the big idea 
of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus says, that's what it means to love your neighbor. That's who your neighbor is. And I think in our culture today, in theory, most people would agree with that. Yeah, I should love people who are different from me. I should love all people. I don't want to be um, prejudiced. I don't want to hate anyone. I don't want to be bitter towards someone just because they're different from me. I, I agree. But what Jesus does so well in Luke chapter 10 is he takes our idea and our ideals. Yeah, I want to be a person who loves others. And he puts someone in front of us, a specific person, a real person, a flesh and blood person that we can't just say, yeah, in theory, I'd love them. Because we see in the story of the Good Samaritan that the first two people that he comes upon, that come upon him, step over him and carry on with their day. But the third person actually loves him and serves him, even though it's going to cost him. It's going to inconvenience him. It's going to eat up his time. It's going to cost him money. And he's probably not going to get anything in return for it. Choosing to stop to care for and love this person doesn't benefit him in any way. It's all love. It's all give. It's all sacrifice. And Jesus says to this teacher of the law, this is what it means to love your neighbor. Loving the specific person in front of you who you might like in some ways, but is flawed and imperfect and sinful in other ways. It's a really challenging thing. We are going into 2024 next year. Political year, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fascinating to see some of the things, even in this community, that come up as we talk about who we're going to vote for, which party, which person. We cause some div division and fighting. The social media things that you post, the things you put out there, how could you share that? You think that? You have to be an idiot to put that online. How can that be your view? These kind of things that could so easily divide us. Jesus is saying to us, actually loving our neighbor means loving someone who is different to us in a self-sacrificial way and crossing those borders, not writing them off just because of their differences and distinctives. Who are the people in front of you now, the specific real life people, maybe in this room or in your GC or on your street or at work or in your family or in your home who are hard to love, who it feels sacrificial and costly to care for them? Because Jesus is calling us to that kind of love. The second passage that Jesus quotes from to answer this big question is Luke 19, verse 9 to 18, where it details and defines how we should love our neighbor. I'm not going to read all of that today. I'm not going to exegete that for us this morning just because it is a long passage. But in a nutshell, if I can summarize it, Leviticus 19 is saying that we should be people of generosity and honesty, and fairness, and justice, and impartiality, and people who forgive. And it ends with these words, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, which I love is like an exclamation mark on the end. It's like, love people, why? Because God is God. Love people, why? Because we're obedient to him. Love people, why? Because he says so. You know, that kind of thing comes across. But this is what Jesus is quoting from here. All of those ideas of generosity and fairness and impartiality and forgiveness, all of that is tying into it. And then it feels like this line, love your neighbor as yourself, is this catch-all, junk-draw kind of command. Just in case you thought there was a loophole. Just in case there was a way around it. Because in our hearts, we probably would want to do that. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Love everyone in the way you would want to be loved and treated. Frederick Brunner, again, in his commentary on Matthew, says, the love of self is not a third command. And he says this, the words as yourself suggest the habitual, imaginative 
replacement of the other person with yourself. This word prompts us to ask ourselves, how would I like to be treated here? Which is so much like Jesus's golden rule. Matthew 7 verse 12, do to others as you'd have them do to you. And he's giving us a very practical tool. If we're not sure what it looks like to love in a situation, say, I'm going to replace myself with this person. I'm going to imagine that the person sitting in front of me, the person I'm frustrated with, the person I'm struggling to love is me. I'm going to think, what would I want? How would I want to be treated? What would I want to do? It's a rule of thumb for how we live a life of love. This is what Jesus and the scriptures are calling us to. And then finally and most challengingly, the part that I was keen to leave out for today, Jesus calls us to love our enemies. Matthew 5, verse 43 to 45, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I don't know if you have any enemies or anyone that you hate or anyone that you haven't been able to forgive. The reason I would be tempted to leave this out of a sermon like this is because there is a reason that we feel those things. There's a reason that we hate that person or haven't forgiven them or struggle to love them. There's a real significant big reason that we're struggling to obey Jesus in this way. So I don't want to un like downplay this at all today as we look at this. I want to say, if this is something that the Spirit is highlighting to you today, yes, we should learn to love them and forgive them. This might be a process of deepening that practice over time as the Spirit helps us to grow and change. The other thing I want to say is that Jesus doesn't downplay this as if it's nothing. Just like, just forgive them and move on. Just pray a prayer and you'll be done. Jesus doesn't do that at all. Jesus is very focused on the costliness of forgiveness. Jesus' example to us of dying on the cross for our sins shows us how seriously he takes sin, how seriously he takes animosity, how seriously he is willing to pay the price to make things right where there is brokenness and division between people. His cross shows us that he's not just telling us to sweep this under the carpet, pretend not a big thing, doesn't matter at all. Instead, he's saying this is a really big thing. This is a huge thing. Look how seriously I have taken it. I'm calling you to take it as seriously. This is sin. This is wrong. This was unfair. This was unjust. This was not okay. But the resources I'm wanting to give you of love and forgiveness and grace, I'm wanting to empower you to forgive them in the same way that I have forgiven you and to love them in the same way that I have loved you. In Romans 5 verse 8, we read, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies, while we were still rebelling against, against God, before we were friends with God or family of God, his children, the scripture is saying to us, in that time, Jesus died for us. He was all in, not knowing if we were going to respond, if it was going to be right, but he, from his side, took the steps to make things right. The gospel shows us a God that loves us and forgives us in a costly way to help us become a community of the Father's love that loves and forgives in a similar way too. I know for some of you today, you might be hearing this going, I've heard this a lot. I know that God loves, but it's hard for me to believe that God loves me, that God forgives me. 
It's hard to give the kind of love you're talking about today or the type of forgiveness that you're talking away today away. <laughs> Tongue twister. Because I haven't re- like received that myself. I haven't experienced that myself. I haven't been changed by that myself. But regardless of what you think, I can tell you that God loves you today. The quote that I find really comforting and encouraging from Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, says, we must understand that God does not love us without liking us through gritted teeth, as Christian love is sometimes thought to do. Rather, out of the eternal freshness of his perpetually self-renewed being, the heavenly father cherishes the earth and each human being on it, which includes you and me. The fondness, the endearment, the unstintingly affectionate regard of God toward all his creatures is the natural outflow of what he is to the core, which we vainly try to capture with our tired but indispensable old word, love. When I say to you today, love God and love people, that can feel so trite and cliched. But when we see this kind of freshness, that God loves us in this way, there is a weight and a meaning to us that goes beyond cliché. In the scriptures, we learn that we love because he first loved us. And part of the series is learning to be that kind of people that are receiving his love to love others, receiving his forgiveness to forgive others, receiving his grace to show grace to others, receiving from him so that we can be the kind of people that are like him. But let me end with this. Real talk. It's so easy to preach a sermon on this. (laughs) Like talking about loving God and loving people is so easy. It's not costly for me at all to stand up here and say, hey, love God and love people this week. Bye, have a great week. It's very easy to talk about this stuff, to memorize these scriptures, to repeat them. It's very hard to do what we're talking about today. (laughs) It's very hard to do the kinds of things we're talking about today. Even over the next two months, growing in this kind of healthy relationship stuff, this is not easy work. But as we talk about this, I want you to know if you feel like you're failing at loving God and loving people, one of the good things about God, the amazing things about Him, is His grace to forgive us when we don't love and to empower us to become those kinds of people. His grace wipes the slate clean and helps us to become who we currently just are not, no matter how much we might try or desire to be. Healthy relationships are really important. I would bet for everyone in this room, maybe I'm off with one of you, I'd bet for nearly everyone in this room, the happiest moment of your life, your most joyful times, the most sweet, fond memories you've got in your life involve relationships and people. And I would bet at the same time that the hardest moments of your life, the most painful things you've gone through, the biggest like spaces of sadness in your heart involve people too. Relationships are a huge deal. So becoming like Jesus and becoming a people of love is a really important thing. At the same time, it's a slow process and it's the work of a lifetime. So I wish today we could end with a prayer and a commitment and a decision and we would all be fine. We'd be done. We could move on to something else next week. That's not the case. This is going to be a slow lifetime process of growth and change. But over the next two months, we're going to be in a series on Sundays and some work in our GCs and some personal devotions to help us to grow in these areas, to love God and to love one another better. So let me just briefly describe that and we'll close with prayer and communion. Firstly, in our personal devotions, we're going to start to go through this book together. 
build emotionally healthy relationships day by day. Um, if you're not in a GC or an intro to GC, we've got a few copies up front that you can grab for yourself. We're going to start that the first week of October. If you're in a GC, you'll receive that this week from your leaders. But this is a really beautiful book that's got morning and evening devotions, which is a gift. It's not like a, a box to be ticked. It's something to help you to know God and be with God. Again, we're not trying to be Pharisees here. If you skip a day, that's fine. If you skip a week, that's fine. This is a tool to help you love God, not a rule to put you under pressure to perform or do something. It's got some really helpful, just like a structure of silence, just sitting alone with God, reading scripture, reading a devotion, going through a reflective question and praying. To do that in the morning and the evening, to bookend your day with that would be a beautiful and powerful thing. So we're going to be doing that together starting the first week of October. The second thing is our GCs are going to be working through the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course. Now, some of you have seen this before, some of you haven't. This is an incredible tool to help us develop some skills and some abilities to help us to practically love one another better. It's going to give us some simple tools. It's going to give us some new frameworks, ways of seeing, ways of thinking about things, just that actually we know how to do this stuff. Because in theory, loving people is easy, but then it comes to actually being with people and the realities and challenges of that. So it's a video course with some really good teaching. It's a workbook that'll take you through it. There's a little bit of homework for each week just to go through, but this is gonna give us some skills and tools to become this kind of person. Then on Sundays, we're gonna be preaching through this healthy relationship series. We'll be looking at different aspects of relationship with God and with one another and with just parts of our daily lives that are gonna help us to respond and grow in this area. This is like a 60,000 foot overview of the great commandment and what we're gonna be talking about over the next two months. But this, this is not the how-to yet. But what I love it if you could do is to bring something to God now. I think probably a few different groups of people in this room. For those of you who now, as I've spoken, you're aware in this week of an area where you just haven't loved your neighbor well. I'd love it if you brought that to God and asked him to forgive and then to empower you to change. I love that idea of coming to God with this and asking for his help. The second thing is you might be someone in this room and you're going, I don't believe what you said that God loves me. I just don't. You know, I know the scripture. I hear what you're saying. I just don't believe it. Would you ask God to reveal that to you and fill you with his love today? Would you ask him to make that real to you? And thirdly, you might be in the room and you're not a Christian today. And you're hearing this and you're like, well, I'm not sure what to do with this. Uh, I've got two things I'd encourage you to do. The first is if there's something that stood out to you today, what if you bring that to God in prayer? Even if you say, God, I'm not so sure what I think about you and about this, but this stood out to me today. And if you're real, if this is real, would you help me in this area? Or maybe today, as I've shared, you've said, I want to follow Jesus. I want to respond to this loving God. You could do that now. Say, so Jesus, I'm not sure what the next step is, but I, I want it. Could you forgive me? Could you love me in this way that this guy has spoken about? And you can come and chat to me or maybe the person that brought you today. We can help you to take next steps in following him too. But whatever stood out to you now, whatever from my message you think you need to respond to, can we just take two minutes bringing that before God in prayer? Uh, hi, guys. In closing, um, 
I was just reminded of something when Grant was sharing. Uh, something that Olivia and I do that the boys love. I'm just joking. I hate. Um, but we'll get into this back and forth of like, I love you. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. And we can go on for kind of an obnoxious amount of time, probably. Um, but I usually always win because I'm like, I love you more because I loved you before I even knew you. I loved you when you were in my belly. I knew nothing about you, but I loved you more. And you didn't even know what was going on. She was like, okay, I guess. Um, but I was just reminded uh, just of God and how he feels about us. Like, obviously, he always wins every time because he actually did love us before we knew anything. He loved us before we spoke a word, before we physically existed. Um, and even the verse in Romans where it says that God demonstrates his love through Jesus and the cross. It's the most perfect demonstration, but he's demonstrating something that already exists and something that already really matters to him. And so I just want to say this upcoming series is probably going to be challenging at different times for us all for different reasons, whether it's extending forgiveness or accepting forgiveness or how you deal with your spouse, parents, children, siblings, whatever it could be. Um, and I just want to pray that we would be rooted in the fact that God's love for us, like starting with God's love for us and letting that impact how we view ourselves and how we view others and treat others and live out the great commandments. So let me pray for us. Jesus, I, I thank you that before we did anything good or bad, um, that you had love for us, that you loved us so much. I thank you that, um, that when we show our love back to you, uh, almost like a parent, when we get excited to see our kids, you know, saying, oh, I love you, mom, or or expressing some type of gratitude or gratefulness, it feels so good. Um, I just pray that you would help us to, um, to remember that it was your love first for us, that that would impact how we um, think about ourselves and how we treat and think about um, our neighbors and the relationships that we have in our life. And, uh, help us to really swim in your grace um, in this, uh, during this series, um, so that we could understand more and actually live out, um, a life that you would want us to live out. So I thank you, God, for all that you're doing in each and every one of us. Help us to be sensitive to the areas that you're prompting us. If you brought up a specific person in our minds today, um, help us to not just dismiss it and to bring that to you in our time this week. In Jesus name. Amen.